this week's episode of Technology Translated. I'm Sarah. And I'm Kendra. In this episode, we will be continuing our AI series. Sarah, what are we focusing on in this episode? So a lot of conversations in higher ed have revolved around how to redesign our curriculum in order to eliminate the ease with which students can use AI to complete assignments. There are two approaches to this emerging. There's assignment design where AI is embraced as part of the process, and then assignment design where we attempt to take AI out of the equation as a possible factor. So for this episode, we will focus on the latter, but we will also cover ideas for incorporating AI in a future episode. Of course. A lot of times, some of our more traditional assignments might involve tasks that can be easily copied, pasted, or outsourced to online platforms. Additionally, multiple choice questions and short answer questions are particularly vulnerable to AI-driven cheating, as students can use AI tools to quickly find answers. That's a significant challenge, and as Sarah mentioned, calls for a shift in the way we design assignments. So how can professors think about redesigning assignments that are resistant to cheating attempts powered by AI? So the good news is that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are a lot of great resources out there already that have some ideas that should work for many disciplines. We'll be referencing some of them in this episode and also linking them in the show notes. One of the resources I found very helpful comes from Montclair State University's Office for Faculty Excellence, and they suggest, among others, two strategies that I think kind of go hand in hand, which is chunking assignments into drafts with clear due dates, like, for example, first an outline, then an intro then a first draft, et cetera, where each draft receives feedback and then must build upon the other in a significant way that responds to that feedback. It would not be impossible, but it would be more difficult to make AI produce each element, especially if the topic the students are writing on is very niche to your course topics or in-class discussions, or if you incorporate a more personal element into the writing process. And in addition to that, they suggest adjusting your grading practices to focus on the process rather than the final product. When students are being assessed against their own development and growth, it could lessen the desire to cheat. I'm not sure that this is true in every case, although I do believe that the research has shown this approach to grading has significant benefits to student learning. So it's probably worth considering either way. Of course, the downside is that incorporating any of the above approaches takes significant forethought in planning out course assignments, as well as that time spent providing that detailed feedback. Yes, anytime we overhaul our tried and true methods, there is that upfront time investment, but it usually pays off. I've also noticed that a lot of the suggestions for how to redesign assignments in the area of AI also happen to align with best practices that are emerging and ongoing in teaching and learning research. Probably because in both situations, the key is to move towards assignments that emphasize critical thinking, creativity, and real-world application rather than simple information recall. So with that in mind, incorporating large multidisciplinary project-based learning or service learning into your courses is a frequent suggestion in order to discourage the use of students using AI to generate coursework submissions, especially if you're keeping the projects hyper-local or specific. This would, of course, look different depending on your discipline. Maybe students in a healthcare field are engaged in a semester-long investigation of a local healthcare issue or barrier. 
students in an environmental science course might be working with local organizations on a survey of wildlife, certain habitats, or water quality. Even first-year writing courses might be asked to research, engage, and reflect deeply with a local or even campus-centered news event or issue. When students are engaged in long-term projects or service-based projects, they're less likely and less able to have AI tools generate responses that would fulfill the types of research and reflection that they're being asked to perform. Of course, this is another suggestion that takes quite a lot of forethought and planning to implement, but it's really well worth the effort for multiple reasons. Absolutely. And in my previous life in K-12, we had the opportunity to do large multidisciplinary project-based units several times a year. And it was always a lot of work, but it was really worth the extra planning because you could see how much it increased student engagement. So while I think it's definitely a clever way to outsmart... So while I think it's definitely a clever way to, so to speak, outsmart the abilities of the current AI tools that students have access to, it also has so many other benefits, like Kendra mentioned. Um, Because of project-based or service learning projects also tend to have a lot of self-reflection pieces, they are a great space to implement two other uh, strategies that are mentioned a lot, and they might be called old-school suggestions, and that is... um, To circumvent AI cheating, you might want to introduce or reintroduce handwritten assignments or oral presentations, which I know might be groan-inducing from both student and instructor perspectives. Plus, they also sound like strategies that only work in the face-to-face classroom when many of us are finding ourselves in the online space more and more. But I think this is a place where tech tools could maybe help bring some of those elements into the online classroom. For example, oral presentations could be replaced with student podcasts or self-recorded videos. I know that Kendra has some experience with that, which we've discussed in previous episodes where he talked about Flip and podcasting with students. But Kendra, can you refresh us on one of those assignments? Sure. So I designed a podcast assignment for an online research skills class that I teach. I felt like this type of assessment could be an effective way to show the thought process of a research project, as opposed to just a simple regurgitation of best practices, which could easily be plagiarized or created by AI. I realized that for it to be successful, I needed to scaffold the work and provide a lot of structure for students. I was more concerned with the process than I was with the final audio recording. I didn't have the time to teach audio editing skills, but a significant learning objective from the course is to research a topic and synthesize information from credible sources in an ethical way. So I broke that up into many assignments. These short assignments included defining the topic, locating sources, creating citations for the sources, summarizing the sources, creating an outline and a script, writing show notes, and recording their podcast mini episode. The recording itself was worth a very few points compared to everything else. Then, And it had a rubric that was shared from day one of the course on what exactly was expected to earn full points. The time for these podcast mini episodes which were simply audio presentations, were four to 10 minutes. Each assignment built on the ones that came before it, and points were docked if feedback from previous assignments was not incorporated. I was a bit surprised that several students confessed in their introduction posts that they don't listen to podcasts. 
Most students were excited about not having to write a research paper. However, I used FLIP for the student introduction assignment and the final audio recording of their podcast mini episode. And this ended up working out really well. Yeah, it sounds like a great assignment. And it definitely hits on a lot of the suggestions that we've been discussing. And if you want more information on using Flip in the classroom, we do have an older episode as well as some resources in those show notes on getting started. It is a really fun and easy tool. So that is one really interesting way we might incorporate oral presentations into online courses. But what about these handwritten in-class reflections that we keep hearing about? That's kind of difficult in an online course, but another suggestion that I saw from that same Montclair State University resource was using social annotation tools in order to encourage students to read and reflect collaboratively in real time, even obviously in an online space. I don't have any personal experience with collaborative editing outside of shared classroom Google Docs, which I have used before, and they've been successful with some pitfalls sometimes. But there are a lot of other tools out there that do these similar things. Some of them might be supported by your university or college. And um, they're like Hypothesis or Perusal are two that I've heard positive things about. And I'd love to test those out in future episodes. We'll also link information to them in the show notes. And I think this is definitely one way to refresh those typical discussion board posts or reading reflection questions that you might have in your online class that can really easily be fed by a student into an AI tool to generate responses. These collaborative tools would make it easier to track students' thought process in real time, even if they're not in a classroom right in front of you, and offer the added benefit of encouraging peer interaction, which is essential to positive online learning experience, as we know. And I don't feel like either of these suggestions is only for online classes. You could easily implement them in a face-to-face course as well. Well, we have covered a few ways to refresh your assignments with generative AI in mind, and I am both inspired but also overwhelmed. I still feel like we've barely scratched the surface here. Anything else to add, Kendra? I think this gives us a lot of food for thought, and a lot of what we've discussed has encouraged me to potentially reconsider a flipped classroom model for some of my courses in the future. It really sounds like the heart of flipped learning, that reading and digesting materials at home and then putting those skills to work in real time during class meetings. It seems like adapting the flipped learning is one way that we can more closely monitor students' learning journeys and ensure that our students are not denying themselves the opportunity to develop those vital critical thinking skills that are so essential in higher education. Absolutely. And while we really have our work cut out for us next semester, if we're going to implement all of these suggestions. And this has been this week's episode of Technology Translated. Check out the show notes and resources on our website, as always, for more information on a few of the things we mentioned. You can find our website at technologytranslatedpod.com. We are so glad you can join us and we hope that you found something useful today. We look forward to connecting with you throughout this fall semester.